Good morning. Welcome back to the morning briefing. It's Thursday, March 24th. This is episode 171. I am Phil Brandt and with me as always is your friend and mine and my co-host Bert Garland, shareholder with Ogletree Deacons. Good morning, Bert. How are you doing today? Good morning, Phil. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm dressed in uh, red and blue today for a reason. Well, and, tell us uh, why, Bert. I'm sure well, it might have something to do with rubbing something in my in my face here. Just a little bit. You know, my team, my alma mater, University of Arizona, survived a scare during the uh, last round of the uh, tournament, but they are in the uh, Sweet 16 and still holding on to that number one seed and uh, expecting big things out of U of A. And uh, you, you said last week on the program we were going to compare our brackets, and uh, I think I saw your bracket in the trash can. I would have to go state. pull it out of the trash. I would have to pull it out of the trash. I'm, what happened? Well, you know, I, Bert, I don't want to upstage you. I appreciate you being on the program with me every Thursday morning. Our <laughs> listeners love you. Um, and, and if I was to upstage you, my own employees would be upset. They're like, All right. leave, leave Bert alone. They love you, and I, I want you to win. Um, but you know, I didn't go with, I wasn't a Homer. Um, I didn't go with, you know, the obvious I went with, uh, the local team. Maybe that is a Homer with Illinois. I didn't expect Illinois to do well. Mizzou wasn't in it. Uh, and that just blew my bracket apart. I could have picked Arizona and Gonzaga and, and the other top picks like most people do, but you know me, I sometimes go against the tide a little bit, but thanks just for bringing that up and rubbing my nose in it. And with that, we're just going to uh, move on with the program. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Today, uh, Bert, we're going to discuss affirmative action plans and the new requirements for AAPs in, in 2020. Um, we do have a poll question. And I think the poll question here is, if you are a federal contractor or a subcontractor, if you know that you're one or the other, what was the last year your organization updated their AAP? I asked that question because I know uh, several organizations have put those on delay during the COVID pause. And, I, and I'm just curious if we are up to date on those, um, as well as I'm going to ask a question here of our guest in just a moment uh, as it relates to uh, what year will be important to identifying AAPs. We do have a special guest uh, joining us today from Ogletree. Lee is a, uh, her name is Lee Nason. Lee is a uh, shareholder with Ogletree uh, and Ogletree's foremost a OFCCP AAP expert and probably one of the top nation or top experts in the nation. We're really happy to have you with us today, Lee. Thank you for Thank joining you. the program. I appreciate it. And you're joining us from uh, the East Coast. Is it North Carolina or well, South Carolina? Well, I'm not, I don't have an accent, so I know you can't tell, but uh, South Carolina. <laughs> South Carolina? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. And I can hear your accent just a little bit. Oh, just a tad. Just, it's, just, it's, it's the redneck effect. The redneck effect. <laughs> All right. But since we're talking about equality and those things today with the uh, AAPs and OFCCP, we won't use that phrase redneck right now because somebody <laughs> will get great. offended. You're going to make our chat blow up and all that. But it is a friendly program um, and we accept all kinds. So um, I do want to kind of kick off a little bit around the affirmative action plan requirements for 2022. Under the new administration, there have been some changes. Yes. And maybe you can just walk our listeners through what are some of those changes uh, that are impacting our plans and why has this happened? I think the, the, the bigger question is why. Yeah, so um, 
I think the why, let me start at a baseline if you don't mind. Um, so if, if you do federal work, um, you have federal procurement contracts, either as a prime contractor, meaning you're working directly with the federal agencies, or even as a, what they call a necessary subcontractor, so that your work is necessary for them to do their contracts, then you may be considered a federal contractor who is subject to these affirmative action regulations. These regulations have been around for a long, long time. And every administration tends to try to update them or read them differently. So what we're seeing these days is um, kind of the, the sleeping giant uh, of OSCCP has just recently, they, it woke up last week, uh, put it that way. And so we're seeing more focus on um, how to interpret the regulations, who is covered, uh, a focus on pay, uh, and, and just real briefly, the we're seeing the regular the one of the regulations that was kind of new to everybody that OSCCP is saying is there uh, these days is a pay is a, is a requirement to do a pay equity audit as part of your AAPs, <clears throat> excuse me, and then that would be discoverable by OSCCP. Um, that came as a real uh, surprise to most of the lawyers and the vendors in the world who don't interpret the regulation the same way. But the fact of the matter is, is many government contractors don't want to jab OSCCP in the eye, and so they're wondering what to do. We've also got an issue this week, Phil, just real quick to to your point of, you know, what's required. For the first time in 2022, OSCCP wants contractors and subs to certify that they are compliant with these annual record keeping and AAP requirements. And you've, there's an electronic portal that you are supposed to register and certify if it survives legal scrutiny, we'll see how that goes. But right now, that deadline is June 30th. So that to certify them, um, and when would we start the process to go to the portal to certify? Yep. Well, you could start now. It's been, the registration process has been open since March. It is full of holes. They're honestly kind of flying. Why the, does this not surprise me? Uh, but, well, I'm trying okay. to be nice that you told me I, 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 you know, I've already offended everybody with my redneck comment. Um, <laughs> but they really, it, it's, it's a little bit of a situation of, of flying the plane while you're building it. Um, people, our, our clients who have tried to register, some, some who have, but it is not a pleasant experience. It, the help desk is not very helpful. And people don't know what half, you know, we can register now, but it's going to be April 1 or so before people can start certifying. Uh, we also think there could be some lawsuits that stop that or delay that. But right now the deadline is June 30th, uh, and we just don't know a whole lot of information. Ogletree is going to give a, uh, a webinar on this at some at April 7th um, to, to kind of unpack this. But we are getting the news as you are, and it's just not a whole lot of it. Now, if uh, someone is to go in and register and then they need to certify, but they don't normally complete their plan until after that period of time. Is there any special instructions for someone well, like that? Right. If you've got a current AAP now that just doesn't expire until after June 30th, you're fine. You can certify that you have, you know, these are annual. They last for a year. Uh, and so if you did an A, it's maybe your AAP date is April 1 and it, you know, or let's just say February 1, you've, you've done it now, it lasts till next February, you're fine to certify by June 30th that you have active AAPs. And, and keep in mind, y'all, you don't have to upload your AAPs, you're just certifying. Um, now, if you've got an AAP date that was, that expired in January, so to speak, and you haven't done anything, um, you got some work to do by June 30th, assuming that date sticks. 
and 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 every every vendor in the world, including Ogletree, is aware of that deadline and is trying to to make sure people can comply. Yeah, and that's um, I think that's the the trick is if you're behind for some reason or if your AAP should be completed by then. That's right. Um, in the past, you might be able to push a month or two. Now this might create more of a sense of urgency. Yeah, and we just don't know, Phil. To that point, you know, what is the ramification if you either don't file or you file late or you can't certify that you have current AAPs. We just don't know. The only thing the OSCCP has said is you might go on our audit list. That's a problem from a legal perspective for reasons that y'all would be too bored to, to, to want to know. Um, but we really don't know what the sanctions are. And, and again, because it's a new program uh, that nobody's ever done and OSCCP itself is having trouble implementing it, I do anticipate that this June 30th date is gonna be kicked to the fall. Yeah. I don't have any so, intel. I, that's just my anticipation. That would uh, be like most programs. I think it, you know, right. gets implemented and then it gets pushed and they work out the bugs and and so that's on right. before they can they can get it right and get past all the legal challenges as well. Um, is this program so in uh, if you're a contractor or subcontractor? And we'll get to asking the question here in just a minute as to how do I know if I am. Right. Um, which is like, the, you know, the number one question in this space. But if I am and I submit and certify, is it intended that that would excuse me from submitting my AAPs during the bid process? So a lot of times you have to submit your completed plan or certify in your bid mm -hmm. that you've completed the plan and that right. federal contractors would be able to go and see if you certified online. Right. Well, I don't think that the certification, the OCCP certification would not be available to the general public. They've made that pretty clear because people are very concerned about privacy. Now, to your point about the bid process, we do see mainly in state bids, they will accept sometimes a federal, your certification that you have what they sometimes call a letter of approval or a federally approved affirmative action program, which really doesn't exist. But what they're asking is, do you have a federal affirmative action program? From the Fed standpoint with bids, usually the question is, you know, if you are you currently a contractor and are you in compliance? And that's one reason that this portal is under fire because that question's already being asked of federal or potential and actual federal contractors. And so why are they asking it again? Uh, that's one potential right. legal challenge. But to your point, um, you know, this is not something that what, where we go with, where we go now is if you do not have an affirmative action program and you certify that you have it and it's you're in compliance, that becomes larger than an OFCCP issue. It becomes potentially a false claims act issue, a fraud issue for the government. So you want to be very, very careful. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, the Department of Justice and, and the Office of Inspector General are a little bit more dangerous than little OFCCP. So oh, for sure. Yeah. So what you're really, really saying to... is if you certify that you have, but you haven't, That's now you're really in the situation potentially of fraud with the Department of Justice. Fraud, which could be trouble damages, you know, damages to a whistleblower, could be losing gov all government work. I mean, the, the, the sanctions are pretty egregious and not someplace anybody wants to be. Yeah, that would be a, a serious situation. You'd be better off not certifying yourself and and backstepping and trying to become certified than saying yes and then trying to move forward from there. Yes, yes. So, Lee, let me let me ask you a question. If we could just even step back for a second, 
One of the things, our, our, a lot of our audience members, they're employers that are uh, smaller to mid-sized businesses. And, you know, you'll see things on job applications uh, that'll say, we are an equal, equal employment opportunity employer and an affirmative action employer. And sometimes you just find these businesses that'll put those things on their job applications and on other uh, materials and they're not necessarily an affirmative action employer. And I think there is a lot of confusion out there as to who is and who is not an affirmative action employer, who needs to have an affirmative action plan. And I know that in a 30 minute program, it's not possible for you to go through an analysis of every potential situation and set forth uh, and provide answers as to who is and who is not. But what are some of the basic parameters out there for determining whether uh, our members or our listeners organizations are in fact uh, covered by the OFCCP and have to have an affirmative action plan. And also you can define what OFCCP is since I've been throwing that term around as well. <laughs> well, that's the big mystery. That's the next poll question. What is OFCCP? <laughs> so OFCCP, just for, as a heads up, uh, is the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Program. It is a division of the Department of Labor, much like the wage and hour and is and um, uh, other agencies under the Department of Labor umbrella. Uh, it's a rather small agency, but it is kind of sort of like the EEOC for federal contractors, if that makes any sense. Uh, charged with uh, obviously enforcing affirmative action regulations, um, but also prohibiting and, and remedying discrimination. And, and I will tell you that it's the latter that they're really focused on because like any other agency, they want to justify their existence and get a lot of money from contractors who allegedly discriminate. Um, just, you know, I mean, that's just the way it goes, right? Okay, so let's talk about um, so those of you that, that are thinking about getting into federal work, um, and there's a lot of You've got to have, so, so you, you enter the bid process, you get the contract. There are a number of ways to search that. Uh, there's some websites uh, that, uh, there's something called the Federal Procurement Data Service, fpds.gov. You can go in there, type in your DUNS number, which you get when you register in this space. I know I've got making people's heads spin and I'm sorry, um, but you can type in your DUNS number. You can type in your company name. It's like a Google search box and it'll pop up with all the federal contracts you may, this company may have had over a period of years. You're looking for an active contract. OSCCP has jurisdiction for 12 months. Um, and if you, if you, hit the bell, ding, 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 I've got an active contract. Now, what does that mean? Well, um, if it's at least $50,000, one contract of at least 50,000, you could have a million of 49,999, million contracts of 49,999 and not hit this affirmative action program obligation. Um, but if one of 50,000, uh, if you also have 50 employees, well, again, ding, 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 you've run the bell. You've got to have one or more affirmative action programs. Um, there's also subcontractors that get hit by this. And that's a really amorphous term. One of OSCCP's regulatory agenda items is to try to define that for themselves because they can't find subcontractors. <laughs> and a practice tip here, y'all, to, to Bert's point about, you know, we see I'm an affirmative action employer and they don't even know what it means. 
But sometimes you will get, as just a regular, in the regular course of business, a notice from one of your customers that says, hey, we're a contractor and, you know, we expect you to comply too. That's not the test. Uh, just because you do, you know, you do business with a huge government contractor is not the test. It's whether what you give them or produce for them uh, is necessary for their contract with the feds. So, okay. uh, so you know, if, if you're the if you're the janitorial service working on a uh, somebody that makes the jet engines for the army, that doesn't necessarily make you covered. Very interesting. So, one of the things you said there, Lee, was that uh, it, it they don't look at this in, in the aggregate uh, of, of the number of contracts that you have with the federal government, and if you have a bunch of contracts that are, you know, forty nine thousand. Uh, dollars. If you have 10 of those, that still does not make you a government contractor. You have to have at least one contract of $50,000 or more. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah, Bert, uh, an aggregate of 10000 and you, you, I mean, I'm trying to stay away from this, this detail stuff. Okay, all right. <laughs> aggregate of 10000 let's just say you had five $2,500 contracts. That would make you a federal contractor, but not subject to some of the rules we're talking about today. Okay. Those okay. kick in, the affirmative action, the application, <laughs> Tracking, the, the outreach and recruitment obligations, the enhanced record keeping, those kick in at 50,000. Right. Um, so that's that's the number most people focus on. It's, and Lee, uh, you also mentioned 50 employees are yeah. more. Um, right. If I'm at 50,000, but 25 employees, would I still be subject? You would not have to prepare AAPs or applicant tracking. You would have to you know, post the EEO notices like you do anyway. Right. Um, there's some there's some very um, minimal requirements at the ten thousand aggregate level, uh, regardless of number of employees. Uh, okay. But, but this is um, you know the the real meat of this and the sub being subjected to audits and having to certify kick in at that fifty employee fifty thousand level. And and keep in mind, y'all, you're being asked this question on the EEO one form. Uh, you're being asked. Are you a federal contractor or a um, uh, first-tier subcontractor? And many people don't know what that means. And so that goes, just to let you know why they're asking that, that goes to the OSCCP. And if you've checked yes to that, then you get put in their audit pool and might get a letter from them saying, hey, we're coming to visit. Right. So when that happens, and obviously if they're using Ogletree or AIM to do this, we're like, hey, call us straight away. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the common um, we're coming to visit starts often with a desk audit um, and those types of things. What are, what are the, the general things they're looking for when they are auditing? Um, obviously, you want to be in compliance across the board. Is there one mm -hmm. thing more than another that might stimulate more activity? Yeah, remember that I said they're they're an enforcement agency to enforce the regulations, but also to find discrimination. So you can put this in really in three buckets. Number one is what under the regulations are they looking at? You're, they are looking at whether you are complying with certain things in these affirmative action programs, whether they be narratives reciting the regulations, what you've done under the regulations. Those aren't really discrimination. They're just basic compliance things. It's kind of like, you know, a quality audit at your at your company and can you survive it? Okay. But the, the hot ticket items, the ones that, that get the press, the ones that get you the bad press are applicants and hires, uh, as well as pay. So we are always very careful. You know, we do, I do about 200 audits a year, and I'm always very careful up front 
to know what the agency is going to find, put your data in the best light possible. Of course, nobody's ever going to lie to the government just for the reasons we talked about before. Um, but you do have an obligation, I think, not an obligation, but maybe an incentive to put your, your data in the best light possible, knowing the way OSCCP looks at it. Um, so that's something that you, I think you, you want to focus on. What are they going to find for hiring? What are they going to find for pay, especially with this new initiative of where they want to you know, potentially get your privilege pay audits? Right. And is, has anything changed under the pay reporting? Um, there is no... So there used to be a, the only pay report we've had federally so far has been in 2018 with the EEO-1, and that's, that's no longer the case. But what OSCCP is doing now, recently, just last week, they're interpreting the current regulations to require you to create, in conjunction with preparing AAPs, a pay or, or create a pay equity analysis that they can see, non-privileged. And keep in mind, best practice is you don't want to prepare anything that's junk because they also want you not only to prepare it, but investigate any any problems that show up under it and document that you, what you've done with it. Did you make adjustments? What did you do? So you don't want to just prepare something to say, okay, they say I have to do it. Here it is. You want to be thoughtful and deliberate about that. And we're, we're going to do a webinar on that as well to talk about best practices and how you comply with that without getting too much in the weeds and, and, and quite frankly, getting in trouble. Yeah, I know we have done, uh, as part of many of our comp studies, we do that pay equity analysis to help um, help employers, you know, determine is there an, mm -hmm. an inequity here? Were they aware of it? If, you know, mm -hmm. if not, let's make them aware of it and then let's develop a plan to correct it. Right. How, how can our listeners, uh, Lee or Bert, find out more about your webinars that, that you're referencing, one on pay equity and the other on the AAP? Is, is that on the website? Do we know? We, yeah, we, the Ogletree website has a section called Insights, and you can go to webinars. Uh, I know our certification webinar is April 7th, and that's being marketed now. Uh, and then this other one will be later in April on what does OSCCP's pay equity directive, it's not a change in the law, but it, it sure is a big signal what the agency is going to try to do. Uh, that's going to be later in April, and I don't think it's up yet, but it will be soon. Okay. Is there any concern for an employer that um, post, um, you know, a, a, we're an affirmative action employer or, uh, or on their ad, but they're not? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, if you don't have to do this stuff, not sure why you do. It's not your diversity initiative, which is so, so very, very important, but really not, you know, it's, it's almost like a Venn diagram. Here's affirmative action, federal contracting affirmative action, and here's uh, diversity and inclusion, and, and they meet in the middle, but they're not identical. So you don't need to say you're an affirmative action employer from a diversity perspective. There's lots other more um, resonant language that you might want to use. The one thing that does come to mind um, is many federal contractors, or all federal contractors that are covered by this, uh, need to ask applicants and employees uh, about their disability status. Um, are you disabled? Are you not? Do you, you, know, do you not want to tell us? Um, if you are not covered by that by the federal contractor safe harbor uh, in asking that, you could be violating the Americans with Disabilities Act by asking that of applicants. So you want to be really careful to know not only for those kinds of reasons, but also just having to go through the nightmare of an OSCCP audit. I always start with, are you even covered? You know, does this contract cover you? Some contracts don't. So it's worth looking at that 
if you get an audit, you can always back up. Doesn't matter whether you put that on the on the EEO one, whether you've certified, you can always back up. Uh, they have to prove jurisdiction, and it's certainly always worth looking at. So Lee, um, we're 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 down to the last uh, five six minutes of the program here. So just really quickly for the people who've joined us today, you you've the the entity the companies determined that they are a federal contractor and they have to have an AAP. They meet the requirements. Just generally, very generally, what is an AAP? What is an affirmative action plan? An affirmative action plan technically is supposed to be a tool to help a company um, address historical, I promise you it says this, uh, historical discrimination. Uh, it's, it's more of a remedial tool. It is comprised of narratives and analytics. Um, there are four categories that must be addressed, women, minorities, and that's how they phrase it, minorities, um, disabled individuals and certain veterans. So these are annual compliance programs that have to be prepared by covered contractors and subcontractors. They are subject to audit. Uh, you, you, sh you really need to be paying attention to them these days because there's a lot of focus on them and a lot of ways for OSCCP, I think, to find out uh, and make your life hard um, if, if you are not complying or at least, or even if your record keeping is suggesting that you're not um, you don't have legitimate non-discriminatory reasons for your actions in rejecting employees, promoting, terminating, or paying people. How's that it, bummer of, a, of an ending? Yeah. It, well, um, and and Bert, I would want to mention one thing. We've got a compliance guide that we are glad to share with your members, Phil. Uh, it's, a, it's pretty lengthy, but it does tell you everything you might have to do in this space with examples and templates and glad to make that available if that's of interest. Yeah, that, that might be a, a great thing we can put on the site for the morning sure. briefing as access or a link to your site if it's there, one or the two would be fine. That would be wonderful. I to do it. Hey, Lee, one other quick question for uh, those employers that produce multiple plans, large employers are producing multiple plans. Do you know if the, the new portal um, is a, a single entry confirming, or do I have to um, validate and confirm each plan? Well, we don't know much about the certification process. We do know that EEO, the, the OFCCP has tried to upload some EEO ones that you could use, but if your organization has changed a lot, you've had acquisitions, divestitures, you probably don't want to use that. Then you might have to upload every, you know, at least enter the addresses. Uh, there's supposed to be a mass check upload, you know, check I'm compl compliant. But again, we're not being, we're not privy to what happens exactly on the certification process yet. Uh, and that will be April 1 where, where those, that curtain will part for everyone. Very good. So Lee, what, what does the affirmative action plan show? I, I know, you know, I, I don't do these as part of my career. I always pick up the phone or shoot you an email and uh, you, you magically are able to take care of these. What, you know, I know enough about these plans that it, it, it basically compares uh, a company's data uh, in these various categories against uh, data from the community uh, in which the business operates. What, what, what exactly does it show and, and how is this information useful? So it's, 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 it's based on either a, it's based on a snapshot of employees of, as of a certain date. If your AAP is January 1, you want to use something like December 31st. 
you could use April 22nd if you wanted to. There's no there's no rules or remedies or no rules or regulations on when you pick to do your AAPs. But whenever you pick, you get a snapshot, basically a payrolls dump um, of, a, of, of as close a date as possible. And then you look 12 months back on applicants, hires, promotions, and terminations. The agency will use that data to run their own analyses. We run analyses too. That's something called, y'all, everybody on the phone may have heard of adverse impact analyses and the uniform mm -hmm. guidelines on employee selection procedures. This is all fascinating stuff, which is why Bert's not in it. <laughs> um, but um, so we, we, we use the guidelines to figure out, is the agency going to claim some sort of discrimination? And we do that by these adverse impact analyses. Uh, and your, your, your AAP vendors are doing the same thing. Uh, and now we've got you know, we've been looking at pay under privilege because we're a law firm that part of that has gone away and we're retooling uh, and, and are able to give our clients a non-privileged, non-junk, <laughs> um, quote unquote, pay equity analysis that should meet the regulations. Uh, but but is so, so important. I, I just I want to make sure I emphasize this. You need to know what your AAPs show before you turn them over to a government agency. So you got to pay attention to this stuff. It's not just a paperwork exercise anymore. Um, and it's not something that you can say, oh, goodness, I, I love this as much as Bert does, and I don't want to do these things. Um, unfortunately, you, you know, you take on the government work, you got to take on this nonsense. It, some of you may think it's nonsense. Some, sometimes this is very productive work. Uh, so whatever you're feeling about it, um, it is an annual requirement if you take on certain government work, and that's just part of it. And one, one last question, Lee. Um... Should an employer complete an affirmative action plan as just a best practice? They're not required, but they want to complete one as a as a practice of analysis. Any you advice know, in that scenario? Yeah, I mean, I, I had that question a good bit. You know, we want to do a voluntary affirmative action program. Many people want that because of the metrics. And again, I think there's lots of ways to get metrics from a DE&I perspective that aren't um, conjoined, so to speak, with affirmative action, which is more of a remedial as opposed to a proactive type of exercise. So my suggestion, if you want to do a voluntary affirmative action program or something just voluntary, create a policy. Uh, do it in conjunction with your DE&I folks. Um, there's just really no benefit that I see from a legal perspective or much of a practical perspective to recite 30-year-old regulations just because you feel like um, th th that is just not probably as resonant as a current evaluation of where does the business want to go, what kind of community are we in, uh, what are our ESG and sustainability goals, those kinds of things should all wrap into what you do in this area. Great. Lee, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it very much. Bert, thank you for introducing us to Lee. Uh, if you have questions, you can reach out to Bert or myself, and we'll try to get you uh, taken care of and point you in the right direction. I do want to remind everyone that the AIM Leadership Conference is coming up on May 4th. May the 4th be with you, I guess is the proper thing to say. Um, we are nearing that stage of selling out, so you want to make sure to get uh, your table reserved or your seat reserved now. Every year, there's people who will call and ask for special seating, and we're not able to do that. It is limited. Join companies like Graybar, Delta Dental, Missouri, McCormick, Barron, Bunzel, uh, Lodging Hospitality Management, Hunter Engineering, the list goes on, who are all already registered. We have three rock star keynotes. 
Actually, Kenny Arnoff is a rock star. Look him up. He's fantastic. And then we have two very business-oriented rock stars, Kathy Marzarella and Mark Lee, uh, coming to uh, also have uh, bookends on the opening and closing keynotes with 10 breakout sessions in between. It's going to be a great fun day. There's going to be music. There's going to be happy hour. And we hope to see you there. Thank you very much. We will see you next week at 730 Central Standard Time. Bye-bye. If you've ever been to a career fair, there are many different companies there all clamoring for the attention of these 22, 23 year olds just about to graduate college. And we needed something that set us apart. So we produced a VR video that showed a glimpse in the life of what it was like to work for Nortech. But they could do so in a way that really was pushing the edge of technology, which is how we wanted to be seen by those candidates. We empower our employees to reach forward and look for those new opportunities. And the VR technology, using it during the recruiting process, allowed us to do that.